Hello and welcome to Where's the News? With me as always, Nick Hederick and Garrett Roberts, who I believe, I think I've said this before, but I think this might might be the, the realest it's ever been, is about two steps away from the grave. Yeah, yeah, Garrett, Garrett does not look well. <laughs> Nick and I went to uh, grab lunch, or grab dinner, I should say. It's about... Uh, and we made him wait a while. We we're, made him wait a while. We're not going to deflect blame to Garrett. And let it we be known. Let it be known. We weren't like, you, you know, like, screw you, Garrett. You can't come to dinner with us. We offered. But, you know, Garrett's a workhorse. He wanted to get some work done. He was like, no, nah, <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to stay here and get some work done. So Nick and I went on our merry way. A very admirable from Garrett. Exactly, To yes. acknowledge how much work he had and say, you know what, guys, I'm going to stay behind. That's more than you and I do. And let's, that's not for here nor there. <laughs> but anyway, we went back to the room to record this podcast on a Friday night, which we will get into after this. This is our not our usual recording day. But we came in, and Nick was in front of me, and I just heard him exclaim, Oh, no! <laughs> and I didn't understand what was happening. And I looked to the right, to our DCD desk, where I expected to see Garrett sitting, working on stuff in the computer, and I didn't see him. And then out of the corner of my eye... I saw a motionless Garrett asleep between two portions of the couches we have. Well, not couches, recliners in the newsroom. Love seats. He was listening to Sad John Mayer and was just zonked. Slow dancing in a burning podcast. <sighs> Garrett, are you going to talk? <laughs> no, I mean, you're explaining the situation. Yeah, if you can't tell by the, his He's voice. not being held by gunpoint. That's a <laughs> promise. No one's forcing Garrett to be here. Uh, I feel like death everywhere. We, so uh. It's odd that all day he didn't complain <laughs> about his health. And then a mere hours before we were actually going to hang out together outside of Where's the News... All of a sudden, Garrett comes down, Garrett with, comes tuberculosis. down with a combination of the Zika virus, <laughs> coronavirus, H1N1, and tuberculosis. Hmm. Anyways. Yeah, I was excited <laughs> to hang out, and then I got in this state. Well. Okay. We'll make up for it in this podcast. I don't think we will, but... <laughs> Literally at dinner, John's like, if Garrett big ducks out of going sledding, there'll be hell to pay. So if you haven't noticed, our plans for after the show are, are different. And this is because we are recording on a Friday after some shenanigans that went on in the radio room. You Thursday. might have noticed hashtag justice for the news yesterday on our social. There was a certain man with the passion for old tunes who was in here <laughs> during our radio slot. Garrett's looking at me like I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, uh, so we, we didn't get to come in here at our usual time, and we had things pushed back a little bit. But now it's cool. You know, we got a Friday, where's the news? And it's different. It feels it's refreshing. Criminal. <laughs> After this, we're going to hit the slopes of Bobby Moe. I got to go buy yeah, a sled. And Nick's going to use, what are you using for a sled? Tupperware lid. A very long and narrow Tupperware lid. You can just come to the Dollar Tree with me and buy it a one-dollar no. sled. All right. If Garrett is driving us, I'll go. Nah? Uh? Can't drive anywhere. Oh, really? Do you not have your car? No. It snowed. Well, that's heavily. a problem. Yeah, I'm not brushing off my car. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Anyways, 
the A&E segment, thank God for Garrett's health, is already recorded. Last night, we had an interview with up-and-coming singer and songwriter Mackenzie Nicole. She great interview. Great interview. It was a great time. We're did, excited for you guys to listen. Didn't like stiff us with like one sentence answers. Just went on. Kept up with the band pretty well. Kept apologizing for it, and we're like literally like that's perfect yeah. because we want to hear you talk in your story, not hear us ask a bunch of questions. The way she sort of just stumbled her way into our podcast, and th- that sounds derogatory. Like I'm gl- I'm glad she came. Yeah, on. she just showed up and <laughs> thought she was in charge. Uh, I was walking that's how through that sounded. Romo's Calf one day, and I saw a poster featuring Mackenzie Nicole advertising her new album, which will be coming out on Valentine's Day, February 16th. Mystic, it's called. And I saw this poster, and I was like, oh, she must be a local band. So it'd be pretty cool to have them on Where's the News? And I reached out via email, and I was like, hey, are you guys local? Because I assumed you were after seeing this poster in our Pittsburgh University. And they responded with, no, we're in Kansas City, but we'll email you or we'll interview you over the phone. So we did that yesterday. It is a 40-minute interview, but that's going to be our A&E segment today. It's interesting. You should check it out. And we're going to put that in here. So what's going to be about five seconds for us is about to be 40 minutes for you. Buckle up. Have a good time. We'll see you soon. making his grand return. Oh, he's grabbing a chair. Never mind, he's grabbing a chair. <laughs> God, Nick, hurry up. <laughs> Mackenzie Nicole says to hurry up, Nick. <laughs> Clarify that I'm kidding. Clarify that I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, very, it's very important. Okay, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you start off by kind of introducing yourself to the listeners? Okay, well, hi, I'm Mackenzie Nicole. Um, if I had to, like, introduce myself further, um, kind of my line is that I'm an opera singer signed to a rock label that was inspired by a rock band, so it's kind of a good start, first step into knowing me. Uh, but I'm That's one of the coolest sentences I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you mentioned that you're an opera singer, and I, I'm under the impression, at least from what I read, that that was sort of the start for you. I read that you started with several operas at six years old in several different languages. Can you give us a little more about how that came to be and how you learned to perform in such a manner at such a young age? Um, thank you for asking. I love talking about um, my background in opera because um, not a lot of people know about it. And really no one I know besides my parents has heard me sing opera nowadays because it's more of a side thing for me. But, uh, yeah, so I hummed before I could talk, so I've been singing my entire life uh, ever since I could form words. And my parents just thought upon hearing me as a child just singing with the radio and things like that that I might have a talent um, vocally. And so my mom found a local um, vocal coach named Wendy Bross, who's an amazing, amazing woman, an incredible opera singer, and said, hey, listen, my daughter, she's six. Will you please think about taking her on as a student? 
And initially her reaction was absolutely not because she didn't take children until they were much older than that um, when their voices were more developed. And my mom said, please, just let my daughter sing for you. And um, after a few minutes of me singing, she said, I'll take her on ASAP. Um, which was, which is an incredible thing for me because I definitely wouldn't be any, any bit of the artist I am without her and the training we've done. Um, so I continue to do voice lessons and piano and all of that, um, the usual run, um, since I was six years old up to present. And, um, my voice, just the way that it is, uh, just the way that it sounds, um, and the, uh, technique I have slims towards opera. So we started doing more and more of that. And she's an incredible teacher because she, uh, never shied away from a challenge for a student. She wasn't big on catering to your comfort level. She was always big. I say was. She is. She's still was. She is uh, really, really highly interested in pushing the boundaries safely with a student um, without, of course, damaging their voice. And so I continued to do more and more opera, learned in Italian and Latin and French, Russian, you name it, and was along, along with English, of course. And it continues something I've done to this day, 14 years now. That's definitely impressive. I took like three years of Spanish and I couldn't remember a single second of it. And you're out here <laughs> speaking all these different languages at the age of six. So definitely something that's impressive. Uh, I took four years of Latin and don't know how to form a sentence. So she can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to add a hamburger to Spanish, <laughs> and, uh, which, is, which is pretty impressive. I'm impressed. I'm impressed still. I don't know. I don't understand why you would need to learn how to ask for a hamburger in Spanish, though, because I don't know if that's common. You never know. Spanish. You right? never know. You never know anything. <laughs> um. So, before we dive uh, too deep into the music, one just sort of fun thing on the side. I noticed last night you were tweeting about being at the Post Malone concert. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? How was how was the concert? I'm staring at that man's poster on my wall. I love Post Malone. Everyone knows I love Post Malone. It's a huge part of my brand. I met a lot of fans at the concert last night, and they were like, man, we thought we'd find you here. And I was like, you're absolutely correct. Peak McKenzie Nicole brand experience with meeting me at a Post Malone concert. <laughs> I, oh Let me tell you about the best moment of my life. Let me tell you, is at the very end of the concert, as he was exiting the stage, he comes up to the barricade. I was in row three, right? So he starts to walk up to the barricade, and I realized this is my moment. So I left like a gazelle over two rows of seats, like <laughs> in the most agile, athletic moment of my life, ran to the barricade, and I touched his sweaty arm with my bare mitt. And I made eye contact with him, and I screamed. I thought I formed sense. I thought I'd, like, mouth I love you or something like that, like something a little bit more cool and, like, collected. But I didn't. I just screamed. And now uh, now I've made skin-to-skin contact with Post Malone. And, uh, um, yeah, it's one step closer to marriage. <laughs> would you say your, your dream would be marriage with Post Malone or a collab, perhaps? Um, I would I think say one goes with the other. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, I would absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure which comes first, the chicken or the egg, like if we have a really strong, healthy marriage and then engages artists, or if it's our artistry that brings us together into marriage. Um, but it's definitely planned, um, whether he knows it or not. So, yeah. One thing I want to mention is you said that the peak Mackenzie Nicole experience would be um, meeting you through uh, at a Post Malone concert. Would you say that the second peak experience would be hearing your interview on Where's the News? <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? 
Yeah, no, I think uh, any platform where I get to uh, ramble is a fantastic experience if you uh, are interested in that sort of thing, if you're interested in hearing even more of my annoying high-pitched voice. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> right, I'm going to let Garrett take this next question because he's our A&E guy, so he's a little bit of the expert. Garrett, go crazy. So, go crazy. I was reading a recent – it was a TEDx talk with the University of Tennessee, and you kind of discussed how your coast-to-coast -coast tour went and that it took a massive toll on your mental health. Uh, can you kind of tell us why that was, and what doesn't the audience see with performers on the stage that can lead to this? So, um, the tour in question is the Tech Nine Planet Tour in early 2018, um, which coincided very inconveniently with me having a severe mental breakdown. And um, that six months that I was in um, that place, um, many of those months, um, I think about all six of them, I was in no city for more than four days at a time. And... Um, which was really, on paper, it sounds really cool, and I recognize that. And I'm really grateful for the opportunities I had and the experiences I had to an extent. But uh, considering I was always already going through this uh, meltdown emotionally and in this turmoil, um, spending all my time alone in hotel rooms staring out the window is um, was, it was really rough for me. Um, and I remember just, uh, I would sit on the floor and, like I said, just stare out the window at whatever city I was in and realize that there was I had no connection to anything there or anything anywhere, really. And it was really weird because I would get on stage every night and I would be turn on this persona, right? Um, and then I'd go and I'd, you know, put on the makeup and put on the clothes and I would become this character and I'd go to merch afterwards and I'd greet hundreds of fans and be that character. And then I would go home at night and I'd take all of it off and just cry alone in my bed. And... <laughs> I remember there, and that's not to say there were only negative experiences. I had an amazing crowd in Phoenix, Arizona during that tour. I went to Seattle for the first time, and I loved Seattle. It's, I would live there. Um, so I did have amazing experiences on the tour, but at the end of every night, um, whether I was at home for four days or on the road for, you know, a month and a half, um, I just found myself increasingly more and more alone. I don't think that alone time was good for my uh, psyche at all. Um, I don't do well with being alone, honestly. Um, and sorry I'm talking so long, by the way. No, you're it's good. This is, this is <laughs> okay, good. You can always tell me to shut up. No, um, no one wants and, to hear us talk, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there was one day in particular. I was in Houston, Texas. Um, and I'm hydrophobic. I hate water. I almost drowned at a music video one time. Long story. Maybe we'll get into it later. And so I hate water. Um, but I had the impulse to go to the pool. And so I got up super early at like, you know, 6 a.m. and I walked upstairs and it was cloudy outside, even though the sun should have risen by then. And I was like, oh, well, that's weird. Maybe it'll clear up. And I waited for like four hours outside in the pool and the sun never came out. And I thought, of course, like the one day I wanted to go swimming, the sun never comes out. And it kind of felt, that may sound very stupid, but it kind of felt like how everything felt at that time, which is, man, like, I just can't win one. You know what I mean? Like, no, I and so overall, yeah, exactly. Thank you for understanding. I appreciate that. Um, these things are hard to explain. So, yeah, um, during that uh, tour, I think I had a lot of beautiful experiences that I'm grateful for, but I spent most of my time very, very alone, and I don't think that was good for me at the time. 
I understand. And you're, you're around our age. I'm, I'm 19 at least. And, well, uh, me and Garrett are 21. Yeah, so I'm the baby of the group. So what mm-hmm. I'm thinking is you definitely did this tour at a younger age. Do you feel that people touring at around our age could play a factor into that feeling of being alone and how it's handled? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I hadn't thought about it in that context before, but uh, uh, let me just speak on my own experience. I uh, was 18 at the time of the Planet Tour, and I would say that my experience, um, the way in which I think touring or just having our job in general um, as, like, a young professional um, affects you really deeply is in terms of, relatability and social acclimation, if that makes sense. And I think that heavily lends towards, um, contributes to mental health and wellness, obviously. That's a no-brainer. Um, what I mean by that is, and I want to clarify my next statements by saying I don't think I'm a special snowflake, right? I don't think I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm mature for my age. Like, shut up. That's not me. But, like, <laughs> um, the way I feel is that, like, I have been doing the same job I've been doing for um, 11 years now. I've re- been doing it full-time, non-stop, since I was in high school, and even more so since I graduated three years ago. I'm 20 now. And um, there's really, you know, growing up in the music industry, um, since I was a child, my label, Strange Music, was started in my basement um, in 1999. It was formally established in 2000, but it really started in 1999, um, the year I was born. So, like, I've always been, because of that, I've never been a kid. Like, I was always just a miniature adult. And so, all that being said, like, then continuing to do these things like tour across the country and um, work a full-time job and, you know, be a, you know, pretend, like, be a junior music executive and things like that, you know what I mean? Like, um, there's really no other 20-year-olds that I know that get it, you know what I mean? And um, so it really is difficult socially if you're already really shy like me to try and, um relate and flourish socially in a way that's really healthy and productive, you know what I mean? Um, and what I, like, sorry, I'm getting kind of convoluted. Um, no, what I'm trying sense. to say is it's hard to make friends, and friends make life a lot easier <laughs> in layman's no. terms. And so that's kind of, if I had to talk about age and the job, I'd say that's mainly it because, like, I'm in this weird spot where I'm 20, so I'm, like, 18, 19, 20 especially, even younger than that, but now that I'm out of high school, I'm noticing it really, really heavily. Um, all my friends are in their, like, 30s at, at youngest, and all of them, like, you know, they want to go to bars and do big kid stuff, and I don't want to feel like the little sibling that everyone has to, you know, drag along, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't get college party culture. I've never been to a party in my life. I don't really understand what it's like to do finals. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, simple, stupid stuff you don't think about. That's just how you relate to other people um, in terms of being able to empathize with what they're going through in even just the smallest of ways. Like, I haven't done homework in four, three or four years. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trained in classic 20 year old problems <laughs> right now. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's where I think age comes in the most. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I just want to say I hope that our humble little college podcast hope, hopefully gives you a little ex- uh, experience of what sort of 
this side of life that it sounds like you didn't always get to experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of those things that, like, I'm always really appreciative for opportunities like this because, like, it's really cool to, and this isn't just me trying to suck up because I'm being featured here. But it's always really cool. To to, I want to clarify that. I can come off very, very suck up-ish, and it's not my intention on this complimentary. No, no, I'm probably uncomfortably so. I, uh, I really am appreciative for opportunities like this because obviously, like, you guys are having a totally unique experience that has its own, like, vices and virtues choose and I'm having my own unique experience so to get to come together and create something really cool like this is a really awesome opportunity yeah that's great I mean it means a lot that uh, that you value this I mean it's like I said this is something simple that we have going on and to bring two separate worlds together like that is interesting to me I think it's I think it's a good product but with that being said we'll keep it moving along you mentioned earlier in the interview that you're continuing to travel so it sounds like things did find a way to get easier for you, or at least you found a way that you were happier handling them, or at least more comfortable. So can you take us through the process of how that happened and what exactly it is? Um, I think the major um, difference in uh, young nomadic Mackenzie and the current young, slightly less young, still young nomadic Mackenzie is that um, I'm no longer as raging mentally ill. <laughs> Um, I, uh, at the time, my mental breakdown, um, was due to some real severe, severe bipolar one disorder in combination with a lot of anxiety, suicidal ideation, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, um, is what led to me thinking I'd die alone in the hotel room. Um, and now that I'm going to therapy at least once a week and am highly medicated in the best way possible, I think, like, that's really what did it for me. There's really no, like... Hippy dippy, like when I started doing yoga in my hotel room, or like <laughs> you know, like there's nothing else that contributed to it. Um, like I always say in regards to like mental health and wellness and Mystic in particular, which is my new album that's about mental health and wellness. Um, it's like there, I don't have anything cute for you. You know, I'm not gonna tell you journaling solved my depression. Like. I went to therapy and got medicated. That's what changed. You know what I mean? Like, it's very yeah. practical, very tactile. Um, if you're looking for something a little bit more spiritual, then I'm not the person to go to. So I'm just going to tell you to go to therapy. No, that's fine. Whatever it takes to, to find that place, whether it be, you know, through means like that or whatever, everyone's different. So I, I'm just glad that it ended up working out. And you mentioned Mystic and how it, it's going to focus on mental health and things like that. And it got me thinking, how is, is there ever an, has there ever been an instance for you where you've just been having a bad day and you've been able to turn on some music and it just sort of helps out, right? Because Mystic, maybe you can, it, it, people can listen to it and think, I'm going through this and that can help them. Was there ever an experience like that for you? And if so, can you share it with us? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm really glad you asked. Um, I really, one artist comes to mind more so than anyone else. Um, actually, two artists. I'll cover one from when I was younger and one from uh, more present day. Um, I discovered Marina and the Diamonds, um, now she goes by just Marina, when I was 13 years old and immediately fell in love with her. Um, she was just this really cool, eccentric person and this character and I fell in love with her message because she talked about like I'm super 
obsessive compulsive and she talked about her OCD and she also struggled with eating disorders and she also struggled with the idea of reconciling her actual her once professionally and personally with the reality of what it looks like to be a musician or what it looks like to um, be a female in today's climate things like that you know like she discussed such real things in such a poetic artistic way where the way she discussed things and conveyed things was so abstract and eloquent at the same time very straightforward and digestible and not only did that inspire me as an artist because she is like especially her album the family jewels um is my favorite album of hers it's her debut um debut professional studio album she had a few eps before that anyway that's not relevant <laughs> i uh I gotta say that not only did she inspire me as a musician, but she's the only person I thought got it. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I could sit down and have a conversation with her, and it's like she just understood. You know what I mean? And I always felt like she, like, her albums became chapters in my life before they happened you know what I mean like the family jewels was made right before I went through my family jewels era and then electro heart was made right before I went through my electro heart era these are all albums of hers and it was just like incredible to me and now um another band I discovered or I should say Marina is a solo um this band I discovered when I was like 14 has also been huge for me they're called the front bottoms they're out of New Jersey and it's like a sad boys with guitars bands they're amazing um, and that's who I listen to now. I'm like, man, like, okay, this feels good. Um, because I've went through, like, okay, I want to clarify, I'm not going through a mental breakdown anymore. I'm so much better, but I'm not perfect. And right now I'm going through a little bit of a downslide, you know what I mean? Like to be totally transparent with you. Right now things aren't as good as they once were, and I'm trying to get back up there and handle things positively. But I'm going through a little bit of a hard time. And whenever I'm in places like this, like, that's who I turn on now, the front bottoms. And it's just, it reminds me of a time when I was happier, you know what I mean? And it comforts me. It's like a way to blanket for me. So I'd say those are the two artists or, you know, one artist and then one group that I would cite as the most uh, comforting to me and the most uh, I consider my personal friends, even though I don't know them. <laughs> No, that makes that makes total sense, and I think that's one of the things that's so unique about music is it's able to have that effect on people, and that sort of just very smoothly transitions me into my next question. What effect are you hoping to have on your listeners by sharing this story? Um, whenever people ask me something like this, I always say the same thing, um, better understanding of self and others. Um, I'm going to talk about what mystic did for me, because I can't say what it'll do for other people, um, but... When I recorded Mystic, um, I was freshly recovering from my mental breakdown. Like, it was, like, maybe two or three months into me recovering that um, I recorded this, started recording this album. This album was made over, like, seven studio days over the course, like, maybe seven to nine studio days. I'm not really sure. I'm meaning towards nine over the course of, like, five months. I think October, November, December, January, four months. Um, and so, like, I was only, like, at most six months into recovering when I recorded this album. It was all very fresh, and it was all very new, and it was all very raw. And with my first album, it was an experiment for me. The Edge was more of a, uh, 
it was more of an exercise in seeing if I could do a pop album, but it wasn't really me or the music I wanted to create. Like, I had a uh, co-writer at the time, which is an experience that I don't see myself doing again in, in the future unless I really share the vision of the person I'm working with. And I didn't get to really exercise my writing style in my first album and things like that. So when the, um, it became time to record my second album, I knew I had a few obligations to myself. I had to pen every single word, and I wanted to do the album with my favorite person in the world, my in-house producer of Strange Music, um, Michael Seven Summers. And I knew that I had to finally just be authentic. I, had, I wanted to put something out there with my name on it that for once felt right, you know? And... I always say about myself, and this is kind of sad, but I have no self-esteem, so surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> I always say that I'm like water. I'm whatever you put in me or put me in, but I'm nothing in of myself. You know, I don't feel like I have a personality. So before, I always had a hard time making good, authentic music. But now, um, when it came time to do Mystic, like, I had this significant story to tell. And at the time, the mental breakdown felt like it defined me, you know, it felt like everything I was, so what else would I write about? And as I was writing it, usually I feel ashamed and dirty after I talk about my feelings, like it makes me feel disgusting and regretful. Um, but this time, as I was recording this album, like it actually felt good, like talking about what I went through and talking about my feelings. And instead of making me feel stupid and petty and um, illegitimate, I finally felt validated. And I had this crazy moment, and I just even kind of realized this more recently, because um, I continue to grow and develop with this album, and it continues to be therapeutic in new ways for me every day with every step of the process, um, that this album validated me and my what I went through in my experiences because it was proof that they happened, if that makes sense. Like, it was written and spoken proof that I went through all this. Like, not only did I go through all of it, but, like, I was I had a binary choice, like, I was either going to die, I was either, like, I was going to kill myself, or I was going to end up here with this album. And I have this album, so clearly I didn't die. I made it, I was capable, and I am capable. And so when I say better understanding of self, I mean that, you know, it, the ability to articulate my feelings and understand them better through approximating them with words, because that's all words really are, is an approximation of experience. And then when I say others, um, understanding of others, what I mean is... uh you know, I've had this really crazy experience um, since I created Mystic where I've had to play it in a lot of executive meetings or to friends, um, things like that, trying to get people's temperature on it. And every single time, whether I'm on a conference call or I'm in this meeting, right, out, like, with a bunch of executives or associates, every single time I play this album, someone comes up to me after and says, hey, listen, um, I just haven't really talked about this with anyone or, hey, listen, I'm going through this thing. I'm going through a divorce and this song resonated with me or I went through a mental breakdown too or I'm bipolar also, you know, or you one or two. Like, things like that where all of a sudden all these people that I would have otherwise never known, you know, these would have just been people I met in passing at work, started coming up to me and sharing this meaningful stuff and I got to say back to them, hey, here's what I went through and we got to have a discussion about something deeply personal and human experiences and it humanizes people to one another and it is like it exponentially increases empathy and all these important things that are integral to our human experience so I hope that maybe Mystic can be that for other people can be the liaison between oneself and one's neighbor and maybe even oneself and oneself you know what I mean um and so really if any if 
and I'll add this one last thing, and then I'll shut up. I promise. You're um, fine. I uh, I really, you know, Mystic for me was such a saving grace. It was an outlet for me when I'd never had one before, and it has given me so much. It's so important to me um, that I hope I can urge people with this album to go find their Mystic. You know what I mean? Like, figure out what for them is going to be their saving grace and encourage them, if I can, if they need it, to, um, you know, that whatever they're going through, no matter what you're going through, okay, this is something I learned very recently, actually. Help is there. You just need to find it. Like, seek and you shall find. If it seems like no one around you or nothing around you can help you, they, I promise you somewhere in the universe there is something for you that makes all of this worthwhile in terms of, you know, you. it doesn't have to be the end. Like, I once believed for myself that the place I was was the place I was going to remain mentally in this hell. But it's like they say, if you're going through hell, keep going. There is always another side. And so I hope Mystic can convey that to people. I mean, that's my long, long answer to a shorter question. No, honestly, that was perfect. I think it was a very powerful answer. And I think for now, that's that's all. Damn. That's <laughs> all I have. Nick is speechless. <laughs> um, <laughs> Honestly, no, very powerful stuff, and I'm excited to see uh, how that will resonate in the album as well. I mean, you, the way you describe it, it's, it's fascinating stuff, and it sounds unique, which brings me to our next question. One of the things that I read is that you pride yourself on your unique sound that you bring to the various genres that you trickle into, and I wanted to ask if there was a song or maybe several songs that you felt were most unique, and how do you go about making your music feel special to you and to the world? All right. So uh, I'll kind of talk about a few songs off Mystic um, that I think are standouts when it comes to differentiation and sound. Um, the best song I've ever done in my entire life, ever written and recorded, is called The House Above the World. It's track five off Mystic. And it has, it's reminiscent of like a Lana Del Rey sound in a few spots. Um, I call on my operatic influences a lot. The writing is, in my opinion, phenomenal on it. Um, and it's like, a re you know, I don't, I have confidence nowhere in my life except for in my writing. And that's why I'm so happy about Mystic is because the writing's phenomenal because I did every single word of it and I'm proud of it, man. Um, but, so that one has more of like, a, if I had to describe it, like a Lana Del rated opera type sound. And then there's another one called Five Months, Four Days. It's already come out at this point um, that came out um, on our, as our second release from the album. It's track two, obviously. And it had, like, you can see my hip-hop background and upbringing come through on this track, especially we had some, like, trappy ad-libs in the back from a um, musician I know named Nave Manjo. Um, and then it was just to have more of, like, that type of flair on it. So it was about as, like, it's where you see my upbringing, Strange Music, my label, which is a rap label. Of course, I'm on their pop, or I should say just not rap, because I don't consider our division really pop, um, our not rap division of the label, Strange Maine. Um, but still, Strange Music proper is where I grew up. And then there's songs like, uh, hmm, I, it's right down to my tongue. Um, there's a song called Was that is entirely like grungy guitar. You know what I mean? Like, and that's track eight off the album. Um, so there's really so many sounds on this album. Like I always say, it kind of defies genre. 
um, in a lot of ways. And for those of you who know me, though, um, for anyone who's listened to my music before, um, Exempting the Edge, the, I've been forced to be diverse by the artists I work with. I do um, a lot of heavy opera sound when I'm working with my label mate Prozac, who's an amazing artist and amazing friend of mine. Um, whereas I went a little bit more hip hop with my collaboration Warrior with Big Scoob, who's an amazing rapper off of my label, um, and things like that. Um, so I really just the um, Mystic is a continuation of that pattern in my career. That's great, Mackenzie. I, I think that I especially like the one that you mentioned that stands out with the grunge guitar kind of feel. Nick's a, Nick's a big Blink-182 guy over here. Don't, so. they're not. <laughs> no, I know. That's not even close. That was a jab at your band, though. You could have mentioned any other band, like Nirvana or <laughs> no. any of the grunge guitars. Like Soundgarden? <laughs> All right, Mackenzie. Uh, I also read on your Spotify that you are able to quote The Shining at almost any moment. So naturally, we have to put you on the spot here. Can you give us your top three favorite quotes from The Shining? So, okay, when it comes to favorites for me, I'm probably going to sound very stereotypical, but um, here's why. Um, Of course, the best quote, I think, in the entire movie, it's not the one you're thinking of, is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I love that moment in the film. It is, like, the peak of the movie, um, I think, inarguably. Um, more so than the axe through the door, here's Johnny scene. You know what I mean? Like, everyone loves that. But the moment in the movie where you realize the depth of insanity that Jack Torrance has descended to is when Wendy picks up the papers and you have that like incredible beautiful Shelley Duvall moment where she's flipping out as she's like you know thumbing through them and every single one is just different iterations of all work and no play makes Jack old boy it's beautiful that is a beautiful scene so that's my number one um my number two is I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's I my love that. <laughs> I don't use, like, um, One more time. I dare you. I dare you. <laughs> I love that part. Oh, my God. It's just beautiful. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just a shining geek. I love this movie. Um, and so that one is it's just so good. Like, Jack Nicholson in this movie, like, I'm stating obvious facts here that are objectively just correct. Jack Nicholson in this movie is phenomenal. Like, Jack Nicholson is just good. <laughs> and then, um, it's hard. Those are, I know those two for sure. Um, number three, um, <laughs> the twins in the hallway, everything they say. Um, also <laughs> one line that they say, come, you know, come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Like, I just, me and my best friend, for, we went to a really cool um, all-girls college prep school for high school. Man, that sounded pretentious. And we, I went to an all-boys high school, so, like, that, I feel you. <laughs> yes, and we uh, we got to dress up for Halloween every year because um, we usually wore uniforms, but we got to do whatever we wanted for Halloween, which was awesome. And one year we were the twins from The Shining. I just, oh, the Grady twins, man, they just start, they just, it's that perfect element of scary little kid that isn't overbearing. It's just like, it's sprinkled in there, like tasteful, like parsley on a meal. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> 
just beautiful the way they did that. And so I could go on about the shining forever. Have you guys seen Dr. Sleep? No. Garrett, well, Garrett may have, actually. No, I didn't get a chance to see it, but one of our writers did say it was quite good. My mom read the book. She's not well, here, so I can <laughs> Just a slight degree of separation there, but okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I assume... I assume, have you guys all at least seen The Shining? Right? We're there, right? Oh, yeah. We've yeah. all seen The Shining. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you have to see Dr. Sleep. As a Shining fanatic, like, I love this movie. Um, I just, I watched Dr. Sleep with my best friend when I visited her in San Diego. Me and Kelly both sat there, and we were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, it's the perfect, most tasteful and beautiful continuation of this classic movie. The acting is fantastic. Like, I could not praise it enough and I was going in very scared um, that they were going to ruin a franchise that I love so dearly but um, can I talk about why I like The Shining real quick aside from what I've already said like what led to me watching this movie absolutely go for it <laughs> this is so stupid I don't even know why I'm insisting on telling this story so I was very sheltered from scary movies as a kid like my parents never ever 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 let me watch anything remotely scary like not even like Bones when it would come on like television like <laughs> even that they were like turn the channel immediately so then when I was in 7th grade I want to say 7th or 8th grade um, there was a girl in my class named Allie and she was having a sleepover right and she was inviting all the girls from the class and she, I asked her, I was like, hey, what's the plan? And she was like, well, we're going to do each other's makeup and watch scary movies. And I was like, oh. That sounds <laughs> like a like, typical like, weekend for uh, the Where's the News host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my parents don't really allow me to watch scary movies, so I might have to skip that part of the night. And she was like, don't worry. It's an old movie. It's, like, kind of spoofy. Like, it's stupid. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I can do stupid and spoofy. And then it was The Shining. <laughs> it traumatized me. Like, the other girl who was super sheltered in the class, like, I had to walk her to the bathroom so she could throw up. Like, it was traumatizing. Like, all of, like, me and this other sheltered, I know, me and this other girl that were, was also super sheltered from scary stuff, we're just sitting there like, what is this? Like, why is he in a bear suit? And so, <laughs> like, it, and so ever since then, though, like, the amount of trauma, I think in order to deal with it, my brain just had to do a one. 180 and decide to like it and that kind of started my obsession with scary weird gross stuff um and now here we are and i love the macabre and the morbid and the shining that's awesome Mackenzie, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, there's a chance. We, we do the A&E segment for uh, each portion of the show. It's about a third. So maybe if you keep tuning in to Where's the News, you'll hear a Dr. Sleep review if we get around to it. We watched all Oh, you better get around to it. Oh, I'm going to harass what, you guys. What was I'm the deal there? I'm going to find your personal address. You didn't make a deal. You just told her to do something, and then we offered nothing in return. That's not a deal. <laughs> I'm a bad negotiator, I guess. <laughs> we uh, we watched all the Star Wars movies in one weekend. So I don't want to flex or anything, but we did that. No, that just makes it sound like a loser. I've only seen one Star Wars movie. I've seen Solo, and that's it. And I was only cooked. Oh, that's episode. the worst one. <laughs> that's what everyone says, okay? Every single person who's a Star Wars fan, every time I'm like, well, I've seen Solo, they're like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> it's the best I could do, man. Like, give me a break. <laughs> so before we go, how about you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter, social, Spotify, all that good stuff. 
All right. So I'm at Brianna Mackenzie Nicole on Instagram, at Mackenzie Nicole on Twitter, and Mackenzie Nicole on everything else, including every streaming platform. Great. And one last time, can you toss in when Mystic comes out for those who don't know? Mystic comes out on February 14th. We are taking over the holiday of Valentine's Day and releasing a very somewhat very dark album on Valentine's Day, a day that's supposed to be of joy and love. Um, and so, yeah, Mystic, Valentine's Day. Check it out, please. Oh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, think Kayla's going to like that? Listen, Kayla can wait. I have an album to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kayla. Tell her I'm sorry. Oh, wow. She's never listened to this. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you, we, man. This we've is a had great opportunity. I love this. Mm-hmm. It was a good interview because you did all the talking. You know, we didn't have to cut. We didn't have to talk. You know, that's always good. Cause no one likes to hear us. Yeah, the fans will love not hear us for a change. I'll tell you one thing: if there, if you ever need space filler, I'm great at vomiting words for no reason. So just let me know. All right, Mackenzie. I think that's all we need. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, thank you. Um, my favorite food's lasagna. I can't hula hoop. I have two guitars and can't play either of them. Um, just some fun facts. Oh, why? To... <laughs> really? Well, I-, I took lessons for like a year and then didn't play for like six months, and now it's like day one again. So I feel that. Yeah, I've tr- I've tried to be quote like air quotes self taught. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Needless yeah, to say, if you need someone for tour, I'm available. <laughs> oh, perfect. I'll keep that in mind. Um, but yeah. <laughs> now I don't have to do homework anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank right, you guys for having me on so much. Thank you. And we are back. We hope you enjoyed the interview, and just to sort of wrap that up one more time, we want to say thank you to Mackenzie Nicole and the people who were able to make that interview happen on her end. Her team. Her team. So to speak. Absolutely. I had a great time doing it. I did too. I'm glad she thought we were funny. I mean, maybe maybe that was just, I don't know, maybe it was a pity laugh, you think? No. Or I think she genuinely thought we were funny, and that <laughs> made me very happy. And but if yeah. she's listening to this now laughing, well, oh well. It was a great time. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll work with her in the future. Who knows? There's plenty of opportunity. I was excited about it, and I'm just glad we did something different on Where's the News. I am, too. Got to keep it spicy. But anyways, neither here nor there, something that we do every week is talk sports. Yeah! So why don't we slide it over to Nick Hederick to bring us some sports. Yeah! Sports. RMU men's hockey riding a four-game losing streak will take on the Rochester Institute of Technology, I believe, this weekend in a two-game series. At home. At home. Bang. At home. Women's hockey goes to Happy Valley, Penn State. Only eight games left in their regular season. Big stuff there. Gotta win those games. You're hanging on to first place in the conference by a thread. Men's and, bas- men's and women's basketball both in action. I believe softball starts 
Lacrosse starts soon. Oh, man. Injected into my veins, John Blinn. And we just launched ColonialSportsNetwork.com, the brand-new student-run home for all things Robert Morris University sports. You gotta love it, John. You gotta love it. I, I love it. I don't love that it's splitting our audience in half, but that's a... It's not. They'll find it. They'll find each other. <laughs> a discussion They'll for find each day. other. Listen, also Antonio Brown called into the fan uh, two days yesterday, which was Thursday, and talked to Colin Dunlap, and what an interview it was. Nick, I don't know the full details of that interview. Is there anything you can elaborate on? I know he sort of apologized uh, to the team. He, he, he liked to play the victim still in most scenarios. He did apologize quite a few times. I didn't hear the whole thing. I heard about half of it. Said that people had the very people are out to get a beef. A, I think he said that numerous times. Uh, said they got me for speeding. And then Dunlap was like, you were going 100 on McKnight Road. And he's like, so did Juju, and no one cared. He posted videos of him speeding, and no one cared. And it was weird. So him and Juju, they have really bad. I don't think, he, he kind of acted like him and Juju don't have beef, but they definitely have beef. Yeah. Like 100% mm-hmm. from hearing him just talk through those questions. They definitely have beef. One thing that I noticed when, when he was still sort of with the team is that I felt like Juju was almost – a younger Antonio Brown. I feel People like they had think similar that. personality traits. People think that. And I wonder if that caused sort of a clash of the titans kind of thing. Or if he felt like uh, challenged in a way. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Threatened in his position and also uh, how fans and society view him. The fact of the matter is before Juju was even there, Antonio Brown threw tantrums whenever he didn't get the ball thrown his way. Oh, yes. And then Antonio Brown starts getting, you know, double covered all the time, so Juju starts doing pretty well, and he's getting more and more upset. I don't really know. It's a weird subject for me to think about. And an old subject. It's an old subject that we've talked about 800 times. They just need to get along. Because he kind of, I think he said, I'd like to come back to Pittsburgh. He says he misses the Berg. Yeah, he misses the Berg. And I guess that's kind of out of context that I want to come back to Pittsburgh, but it was kind of like a, if people want me back, like I would love to play here again sort of deal. Do you think people would take him back? Uh, yeah. You think so? I do. What do you – do you think there needs to be something like a line Listen, set? once it's clear that he's mentally okay to be back, I think people wouldn't mind him coming back. I think it would be a good redemption story. I, I like But that. also – you need to prove that you're ready to come back and you're not going to be a locker room cancer like you were your last, you know, season with the Steelers. I agree with that. But, I mean, he's a world-class talent. And, obviously, he's staying in shape. He had workouts up until the very end of the season with teams and stuff. And it's pretty clear that they didn't sign him, not because of a lack of talent, but because of a lack of, you know, mental stability. So once he gets that checked out, I'm a person who thinks people can change, so obviously I'd be all for Antonio Brown coming back. Yeah, I think so long as But he... again, not to cut you off, no, you're good. you need to prove that mentally you're there. Mackenzie Nicole, yes, or not yesterday, we interviewed her yesterday, but it's in this episode, so it's not... Okay, you get what I'm saying. You know, talked about the mental hardships of being, you know, in the spotlight, and, you know, being in front and putting on, performing for people and things of that nature. Antonio Brown... You know, a very notable athlete in the NFL. And every day, people talk about him. Some of that's his fault. He would have been a household name regardless, but some of it's his fault that he was such a, 
you know, uh, one of those people that had people on them at, at all times. So, I mean, he's got to get things figured out. But I personally wouldn't mind seeing him come back once he's proven to everybody that he's ready. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I, I like your take on it the way you said that it would be an interesting redemption story. I, I think that I agree with that. Obviously, he's done a lot of not good things for Pittsburgh and for the league as a whole. So I, it's up in the air for me. Uh, overall, I think that if he can do it, might as well take him because when he was playing, he was without a doubt one of the best wide receivers in the league, if not the best. I agree. I agree. I don't think there's anything else to add to that story. Really, it's – like I mentioned, it's an old one. It's not something that I want to continue to talk about, but it yeah, feels like there's it's, always something it's to talk it's, about No, we it. have to talk about it because it's big news, but I don't care. Anymore. No, no, I'm, of course. Like, I don't care. It's our job. As, as where's the news host, it's our job to report. Get, get right in the head, you know, when you're ready, come back. Yeah, absolutely. It's still fun to make fun of it. Oh, of course. Sorry. No, he's – it, Sometimes it is scary, though, not going to lie. <laughs> I guess that's just part of the game, though, right? You know what you're getting into when you play it. Maybe. Anything else for sports, Nick? We're trying to be a little quick because we knew that interview was longer no, than the segment. No, so. I think that's all. All right. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you. So we are going to move on to news. So one of the first things that I want to talk about news-wise is a topic that I know Garrett and Nick can both weigh on fairly well, and I know that a lot of campus is weighing in on right now. Robert Morris University is planning to change its meal plan, (laughs) and it has not been received well. Listen, a lot of schools use the swipe. Well, I think we should start by saying... By sort of explaining. Go ahead. You do that, that, newsman. (laughs) Basically, what Robert Morris is doing now is that students have the ability to select five, five, I think. Four or five. Five or six. I think five or six. Five or six. A number. Yeah. (laughs) More than three, less than eight. More than one. (laughs) There are several different meal plans that students can choose. Those meal plans have a set amount of money known as declining balance dollars. As you buy food, your do- the amount of dollars you have naturally goes down. So that is the plan right now, and students have the selection. Currently, the school is thinking about changing this and upping the students to one plan, the Patriot plan, and this will sort of act as a... The highest valued one. As the highest value one. It's the one that athletes are on and... Athletes are here way longer than us, right? They come in probably midway through summer to start camps and Depending stuff. Depending on the sport, yeah. Then your Football, average student. Football, definitely. Um, so they would up all of the students to be paying that amount of money. And along with this, they want to have only the, – the declining balance dollars could only be spent at Romo's, the Yorktown Calf, the Wheatley Calf, which is – could potentially be on its way out, depending on how the next semester goes, and the Hale Center. So there's a lot to this plan. I'm just sort of scraping the bare essentials of what's going on here. The PNC calf would then become the main place to eat 
for students and the goal there is to have students have the ability to have an unlimited amount of swipes. Oh, swipes. Not Swipe slipes. or no swiping. And basically what this means is students come in at a set time, they come in, they grab whatever they want to eat, they walk out, they swipe, they eat in the calf. There are a deal of problems with this, and at the same time, when I take a step back and look at it, I see a great deal of reasoning as well. If you guys just want to start pitching in anything, I know I've been sort of rambling on a little bit. Yeah, you have. <laughs> Not here to sugarcoat it, son. Take it away, Nick. I don't know. I I, I don't mind the swipe thing. But I, I like the swipe idea. I think that I like the swipe idea. I think the Romo's balance and the getting rid of the Wheatley Cafe is preposterous. I agree with that. I think that I, I don't want to see the Wheatley Calf go because, man, they make a mean grilled cheese and tomato they soup. They do. But I also understand from an economical standpoint that not a lot of students eat there, and having it there, you're just sort of losing Every time money. I'm in Wheatley, that place is at least 75% full. Well, I don't, I'll play devil's advocate here. Oh, great. Let, let, me, let me play the, the devil. People, when discussing this, have repeatedly said, I never eat at the Wheatley Calf. People who never have classes at Wheatley. And the idea that they propose is moving the grab-and-go service to somewhere on a more central part of campus. Yes. Wouldn't that make more sense campus-wise to move, like even if you moved the Hale Starbucks somewhere else, like you move Starbucks into Nicholson and have the grab-and-go there? Well, they're also moving the Romo sandwich thing downstairs, too, I think. Okay, so I was confused on that. At the meeting that was held in Hopwood Hall on Wednesday, if you can call it a meeting. Um, right. <laughs> they sort of explained that you wouldn't be losing your Romo sandwiches. They would be moving them upstairs and serving them in smaller portions, considering there's, like, a great more deal of food. Downstairs? There, yeah. Upstairs to the PNC cap. Or downstairs, is, my apologies. There you go. Um, He's directionally challenged. <laughs> But they would – so Romo sandwiches you could just buy at the calf, but they never really elaborated on whether or not that meant that Romo's would still serve sandwiches regularly just with normal portions. So I don't know what Romo's is going to be. How can you make a Romo sandwich smaller? Well, then again, I'm <laughs> eating it on gluten-free yeah, bread. Yeah, you get which the already, bread. <laughs> which is already small, but, like, what's the difference? The hoagie's, like, maybe an inch bigger? <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, I, I'd, giggle, giggle, snort, snort. Like, I don't like... It depends on how much they move to the calf for me. I Yeah. It, it like, seems... I don't think the concept's as bad as people are making it out to me. I think the reason there's so much backlash... Because like I was saying before I let John go and explain the whole thing, a lot of schools just use the swipe thing. And you get X amount of swipes or whatever. The problem I think a lot of people have is you have to get the highest meal plan, no choice for this. Yeah, that's, and that's a $1,000 or so difference, depending on what you're currently at. I mean, you have a unique perspective on this as, like, somebody in an apartment. You can make your own food. Right, and exactly. As a student on an apartment who, well, I eat at RMU places more, but that's mostly because one of my roommates doesn't clean up, and you know exactly who you are if you're listening to this, so why don't you get out of bed for once to clean up? <laughs> I mean, I like to think if things were clean, I would be cooking a lot more than I do. And it's also more convenient if at the end of a long day, I don't feel like, you know, cooking. And here's the but thing. But, like, I don't need the $2,300 or whatever it is. 
Right. It's probably more. It's probably closer to three thousand. Of course. So, and I think that one thing that is nice about living in these apartments is they cost probably they're the highest housing on campus. Yeah, they're already high housing costs. But to even that out, you don't have to spend as much money because you're able to cook. In I literally room. probably won't get a meal plan. plan. Exactly. Well, I was looking at living in an apartment. Uh, yes. The best apartment. With John. Yeah, with, with John. I wasn't invited to the Where's the News apartment extravaganza. You have your own apartment. You're invited. No, it's okay. You, you, could, you, could, uh, you could take the what's-his-face's spot. But, like, uh, but, uh, if you're in uh, an apartment, why do you need $3,000 to eat somewhere else? And it's like, and you're forced to get that one. If there's one and you're set, spending, you know, like, ten, what? I don't even know how much money the apartments are, but they're a lot more expensive than other places on campus. It's like how in debt are they that they need to screw us like that? Jesus. Looking at the prices of Yorktown compared to an apartment with the Yorktown meal plan, I'm paying 500 bucks more than I would for the apartment and an apartment's $500 more than Yorktown. So, it would equal out. Now I'm going to have to work over the summer if I want to live on campus because I got to save extra money, like a thousand extra dollars. It's going to hit up my loans. <laughs> it's definitely a I'm lot. Hit up a bank, and it's definitely <laughs> very controversial right now. And I'm not just trying to sit here and I like, bash this I, new meal. I plan. like the uh, "we'll come hear you out," and we're only going to we're going to listen to your feedback. And then the feedback was given, and nothing was changed. Well, okay. So here's I was at the meeting, right? And what what happened was the university presented different details that weren't mentioned at the last RHA meeting and uh, explained by Jonathan Potts for that article that I put out. Um, You can read more about that on armycentralmedia.com. Of course we can. (laughs) But they presented these new factors, and then students were just sort of like buzzing and yelling throughout the entire thing. It was was ugly. (laughs) I think the only time that students weren't displeased was when the university said that meal plan dollars, declining balance dollars, would roll over from the fall semester to the spring semester, meaning you could keep them and you don't have to spend all your money by the end of the semester to lose it. But then, like students said then, they were like, oh, well, that's actually a good thing. And then uh, someone in the back asked, well, what happens at the end of the year then? Do those roll over into the next year? And then they said no, and then students were in an uproar again. (laughs) So that was about the highlight of it. Essentially... The, the feedback was a lot of students saying, I'm already struggling to pay for college. Why am I now forced to pay for more? Student debt isn't real. There's no student <laughs> debt crisis. Chris student Howard says there's no choice. student debt. It, it's a choice. There's an attendance crisis. Enrollment. Oh, sorry. Enrollment crisis. Whatever he calls it. It's, it's ridiculous. So students were saying that like the meal plan shouldn't be forced. Others were offering solutions of saying, hey... It's okay if you make this plan, but what if you make different options for this plan? It, we're okay with the remodel, but maybe make it so that some students are able to play, pay less. And um, Several other students asked, what percentage of these people who are already on the Patriot plan who would be saving money are athletes that don't have to pay for it anyways because they're on scholarships? So there are a lot of different factors at play here, and... The meeting, I didn't think about the athlete thing. They're getting that paid for. Yes. The meeting resolved with um, the representative from Parkhurst, which is the organization that teams with RMU and
then provides, I don't want to say provides their food because I don't know if that's true or not, but they, they work with RMU in terms of dining and their representative said, we're going to take your feedback and we're going to talk about it and we will release full details at a later time. Now, what a lot of students are asking is, is this a done deal? And that is a question I am currently trying to work on figuring out the answer to. I need to send a few emails. But personally, I think the chances are this is already a done deal. Well, they told our parents it was a done deal in an email that was sent out. When was the email sent? Before the meeting. Before the meeting. Okay. So I've that's... talked to numerous people that said an email was sent to our parents before that meeting basically saying it's a done deal. He had, uh, I believe it was... Young, Which, once again... Your assistant, John Hanna, put it in a group chat I was in. Like, the, his yeah. parents sent the email going, hey, did you hear about this? Which, again, just RMU at its finest. We're going to pretend that you your opinion matters, and then, you know, I think turns out it doesn't. I think the campus also needs to realize that... You know what the best way to fix students being mad all the time is? Probably not screwing them constantly. I think it's this assumption from higher-ups in the university that ultimately we're just children running around on their campus, you know, children who can purchase alcohol and make bad decisions, granted, but still children. But everyone on this campus is over 18. They're legally an adult. We give you money so that we can come here. We're giving you money and expecting a service. We're a part of that decision-making process. Whenever you don't include students on that, that's why you get backlash, negative press, all this stuff. Every single incident that they, like, have gotten bad PR for in the past, I'd say three years I was here, was because they don't ask students, like, hey, we're going through with this. Like, what's your input? They said... In and I'll, I'll say... It doesn't sound like students went about things in the best way at the meeting. No, oh, they didn't. That's one thing that I'll It doesn't I'll seem like it was a conversation as much as it was students flipping out on these people and not... There were students swearing at these people, some of which I think were only involved in the planning to a certain extent, and it was... I was embarrassed to be there, and I don't, I don't particularly know how I feel about the plan yet. I'm still gathering my thoughts, and I'm writing, so I, I, I'm writing about it, so I'm going to stay indifferent for now. Uh, until that article goes out and I can make my final decision because I don't want to write with bias. But regardless, students were, were very upset. They were swearing at these people. And one thing that stood out to me was a girl from the crowd whose name I, I'm going to not mention. Uh, she said, she grabbed the microphone, listed off several reasons she felt the students were upset, but then sort of flipped it back on the students and said, if you want, you, you're asking for them to respect what we're saying as adults. If you want that respect, you have to give it back to them, despite disagreeing with them. Something to those lines, right? Because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I've seen people, I've seen bad situations before, right? Like it's, it was nothing like new. As you mentioned, Nick, like students have felt screwed over, if you will, by the university in the past. And I had never seen it like that before. It was, I, I didn't know what to make of it. Part of me was like, I don't even care at this point because if this is how we're responding, do we deserve to have a say? Yes. And the answer is yes. Okay. We're paying their money. 
but <laughs> not many more people will pay them money. <laughs> I, it, naturally, we we deserve to have a say, but you. Have I would to, hope so. We're to, not the ones who put us in debt over ten million dollars. You also have to. Hey, well, Romo's has to spend a lot of money to get their water and sell it to you three times the price. <laughs> I have an article going out about that. Yeah, Nick, Arts we'll and Entertainment. An I have a news article going out, kids. Wait, that's going under news. Oh. How's that going under A and E? Might as well put it up on ColonialSportsNetwork.com. <laughs> at that point. Okay. Regardless, we could go on about this topic all no, day. No, we could. And I just wanted to talk about it because, like I said, it, it's a big buzz. On maybe, campus. maybe if you want enrollment to get fixed, and just hear me out. Maybe listen to how the students think things could be better, and act on that. So your current students will be happy and then tell other people how happy they are here and not go, I'm glad I'm getting out of that place in X amount of years or just go downtown to Duquesne next semester, which I know people that are doing that or staying home and saving a bunch of money and going to their local community college or whatever is nearby. Maybe, just maybe that's a thought. But if you think it's bad now, wait until people speak with their wallet and just don't go here anymore. Mm-hmm. Because then you're in more of a crisis. That was one thing that I started thinking about at the meeting as well, was I was wondering what percentage of students that were there would actually consider transferring schools or not going here well, because that, of this decision. That's kind of the proverbial gun to their head. It... RMU is notorious for not transferring credits. They have accredited programs, but multiple students who wish to transfer or had credits here from high school, even personally, like I went to high school with people, RMU is close enough to Hopewell that they had that program. They couldn't transfer their credits to any of the schools they wanted to go to, including Pitt. So it's like, oh, well, you're, look at like me and Nick, we're a year away from graduating. May as well just get that degree and then Never send them money again. Absolutely, and that's that's the thing. I think won't have any money. If oh, I yeah. if I'm in the university's position, working at a Walmart as a produce specialist, make thirty thousand dollars a year. If I'm in the university's position, I I see that right. Your 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 juniors and your seniors. What are the like? What's the likelihood of them leaving? What's the likelihood of them leaving with all of their credits? Even I don't want to leave because I have I'm in a solid organization here. I have the freedom to do stuff like this. I already have friendships made. So why would I leave, right? But at the same time, Who I don't want the power of friendship. <laughs> I don't want to spend. I'll make friends wherever I go. I have always and I will continue to. I won't. And I know I would, but I don't, like, why would I want to reaccustom myself no, to somewhere No, I know else? what you're saying. So it, it's, I, I wouldn't make friends wherever I go. Students Garrett, are, stop that. <laughs> Jeez. Students are in a tough spot, and... University's in a tougher spot. <laughs> I think that the conversation should be ongoing, and I hope that it is still had amongst university officials. And I, I'm curious to see what happens if nothing changes. Big enough to matter, small enough to screw you over. So I think we're going to wrap things up there. We won't dive into too much national news because a lot of the stuff that's going on nationally will probably carry over into next week. But I know we had a longer A&E segment today, so we're going to wrap it up there. That's a, the big story, honestly, on campus right now. So I think it's, it's, it's all right to stop there. 
We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and we hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm especially proud of it and I hope that we can have more stuff like that in the future. We want to go around and sort of just briefly touch upon what we're doing. Garrett. I got a lot of stuff. I have to... Oh, this took like 30 minutes by itself last week. That's right. (laughs) Well... If that episode ever goes out. I'll I'll keep it short. We have a Lego package going out. I need to talk with my assistant about some minor video edits we we need to make to it to make it go out perfectly. And that's really about it that I have planned right now. Nick. We're working on a couple features. At least that's what I was under the impression of. Um, and then, you know, the normal stuff you can expect, but we're always coming up with more ideas now that we're our own brand, so to speak. All right. I have no one, but it's kind of fun, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> nice. There we go. That's the one for this week's episode. Um, <laughs> I sing every episode, new listeners that are coming here from Mackenzie Nicole social that have made it 30 minutes past her interview. <laughs> For me, uh, I wrote a lot of Robert Morris-related stuff last week, which I am pretty proud of. Uh, and I'm also proud of my writers. I think the content that we're doing this year is taking a turn for the best. I like it. But this week, when you don't publish an article for two months, anything's going to look good. On the other side of things, <laughs> we, we have a lot of Pittsburgh stuff coming up this week. We have one about uh, the crime rate in the city dropping down, and we also have... Um, I don't know. Pittsburgh did a lot of stuff this week. I got to edit it. I haven't edited it yet, but I know it'll be out this week. So stay tuned for that. Some RMU covering Pittsburgh. And also be sure to check out that older stuff. And give Garrett's Humans of RMU a read. Those don't age. So definitely give that a read. Don't read it. it, it... Don't read it? No. Why not? It, it, it won't be Killer Beam forever. It's not worth it. <laughs> Garrett's only hope is that, is that he can beat uh, one of the stories that's been in our top five trending articles, Killer Bean Forever. Forever. Which, ever. don't even bother looking it up because we don't want it to be in the in Oh, wait. Oh, oh, hold on. It's a brief update. Like, this is an on-the-cuff thing. Okay. Robert Morris, did you get that email explaining dining services and everything? Like, all the changes? No. Because they posted it on their Twitter. Okay. That's clearly the best way to reach all students. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll end that with that. Expect some coverage from Mr. John Blinn, an opinion piece from me, about how they've been handling this and how it will affect students in a more oh. in-depth sense. Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, I'm trying to write this one straight down the middle. I want to hear from the university. I have an email. I'm going to talk to them, get their side of the argument, Talk to students, get their side, and that will be up as well. And I think with that, fellas, let's wrap it up. Nick, let's go hit the slopes. Garrett, go take some Benadryl and go to bed. I'm gonna. No, you're hitting the slopes. I'm gonna drown myself in cough syrup. No, no much like you do to a kid. Hitting the slopes. <laughs>